Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and happy almost Christmas. We are almost there, not only almost to Christmas, almost to the end of this year. And I just pray and hope that this week, wherever you are celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you are finding some peace and joy in the fact that God sent his son to put on flesh, to be the light of the world for us, to be our salvation, to be our savior. So I hope you're able to celebrate that even in the midst of a difficult season if you find yourself in one. Today's show is a great one and I'm so excited. I got to sit down and interview Francine Rivers, which if you are a Christian girl, you probably are familiar with Francine Rivers because she's written over 30 books over 30 years. The one that you might for sure know about is a book called Redeeming Love. This book has sold over a million copies. I've read it. I most definitely think that you've probably read it. Uh, But if you haven't, this is my 100% recommendation that you need to get your hands on this book, ASAP. In fact, if you got an Amazon gift card, go buy this book for yourself right now. Francine and I talked about what led her to this journey of writing this book that has been so profound as a Christian fiction book. Uh, We talked about the characters and what they meant. We also talked about marriage a little bit, which made me happy. Her and her husband, Rick, have been married over 50 years. You guys, let's sit and listen to what she has to say. We also talked about how she writes. We talk about the fact that this book will be released into a major motion picture in 2021. I cannot wait to see this book as well. Guys, you're going to love this show. Can I ask a favor this week of holidays? Can I ask you a favor to go rate and review the Happy Hour podcast? If you listen to the show and you enjoy the show, A rating would mean the world to us. Think of it as your Christmas gift to me. Rating and reviews are not just so that I can feel good about myself or we can give ourselves a big thumbs up for what we're doing, but they actually help more people find the show and trust the show. So it's super easy. However you listen to podcasts, you can give us a review. We'd love it over on the Apple podcast page. Just five stars. We'll take them, guys. You can do it. Here's my conversation with Francine Rivers. Francine, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. In fact, you know, I get the unique, wonderful, I love my job opportunity to talk to so many people. And I woke up this morning and immediately texted my mom. And I was like, you are not going to believe who I am chatting with today. And so she and I are both big fans of yours. So I'm so glad to have you on today. Oh, thank you for asking me. Great to be here. Well, introduce yourself to my listeners. Tell us about your family, where you live. We know that you're an author, but give us a little tidbit into your personal life. Well, I'm a wife of over 50 years. We have three grown children, five grandchildren. We live in Santa Rosa, California, Northern California. So the new normal out here is fires every year. It's been a very interesting year with 2020. We'll go down in the history books. That is so true. That is so true. You just said you've been married for over 50 years. Yeah. And my husband, we actually met in fifth grade. 
Oh my goodness. Very good friends. And then he was a Marine in Vietnam. I went, was off in college. My brother was serving in the army and he was in way fell in the Tet Offensive. And so Rick's mother wrote to him every day, the whole time he was serving over there. And he heard about my brother being captured. And then my brother was found when the Marines came into the city, he was repatriated. So he wrote to me and we started writing back and forth. And he came home in December of 1968. We were married December 1969. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, we were, you know, we were really good friends. He, he'd be dating other people and then he'd come down and he, we'd talk about our dreams of travel and all kinds of stuff. So we had a really strong basis of friendship before we got married. Not that we didn't have our problems because we well, did. That's true for everybody, right? Do you think, I hear you talk about friendship. Do you think that's one of the keys to a, a long lasting marriage? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he is my best friend. And I think, you know, if you don't start out being friends and you don't know each other that well, then you develop that friendship in your marriage. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day. My husband and I have been married for almost 20 years. And so we pray that we get to see what you guys have seen. But we were talking the other day about friendship. And my husband did look at me the other day and he's like, you really are my best friend. And I can say the same. And it's not that, I mean, I have my friend, Amy, we've been friends since ninth grade. Like we're besties and we talk every day on the the phone. But to think about that, I get to spend the rest of my life with a man that I like, because here's the deal, Francine, you're 50 years in, I'm 20. If you don't like this person, (laughs) it's going to be difficult. Am I right? (laughs) Absolutely. You better like them going in. That's exactly right. I would learn to like them, right? Somehow. Definitely. Definitely. Oh my goodness. You know, we're different people than we were when we first got married, but you grow up together and you grow old together. So, yeah. That's what I've seen. I remember we're at the stage in our marriage where we're starting to see some marriages fall. You know, your kids are getting older. You see marriages where they've had this kind of partnership of raising kids. And then all of a sudden the kids are kind of doing their own thing. And then they have this lack of friendship. And I don't think I really understood that as a newlywed as to what the about what we would have to put into our marriage you know, 10, 15, 20 years later. So I'm going to throw this at you. I got 30 years until I'm where you are. What has been the best thing about your last 30 years of marriage? Oh my goodness. Well, just the way we talk to each other. One of the things we struggled in our marriage, we almost got a divorce when we were, I think, in our late 30s. But the thing that really brought us together is starting in the morning with reading devotionals together and praying together and talking together first thing in the morning, because he had his own business. So he had to be at the office at seven o'clock in the morning. And then we're raising children. We had no time alone together. So we had to carve that time out. And we still do it. I mean, Rick is up at four, four thirty in the morning. I'm usually up by five or five thirty. And then we have that quiet time together to start our day. And it kind of sets the whole course of how your day is going to be. I love that. I love that. So that that made all the difference. That's really what put us back together. That intentional setting time to be together without like planning or doing kids stuff, just really, really being with each other. Yeah. I read somewhere where you talked about how you and Rick almost got divorced. Your marriage was really struggling. Can you talk about, you just mentioned basically one big thing that got you through to the other side of that. I know you mentioned the struggle in your marriage at a point. Yeah. And so I would love just to hear about your faith journey and what that's been like and how that's played into your marriage being what it is today. 
Well, I grew up in the church, but you can be in the church and in the pews and not be a Christian. You know, I that was me, Francine. That was me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then Rick did not grow up in the church. So we did actually join a church in Southern California and he was chairman of the board of trustees and they didn't know he wasn't a Christian and we didn't know we weren't Christians. It was crazy. But I had started my writing career at that time. And we went out for a walk one day and he said, you know, if you had a choice between me and the three children and your writing, you'd take your writing. Mm-hmm. And it really stopped me in my tracks because I thought that's true. Mm-hmm. I probably would because I had that illusion that I had control of my life and that one area of my life. And so it really got me thinking. Um, he started a new business in Northern California because we wanted to get closer to our parents. And so we thought, you know, being closer to family will make a big difference. And I stayed in Southern California until the children were through school. And Rick was looking for a rental home. Well, he found the only one in Sebastopol just happened happened to be between two Christian couples. And an eight-year-old boy came over and just wanted to help us move in. And he was sort of pesty. We thought, oh. you know, so I'm going to get pizza. And Rick just gave him a box of, you know, shoes or something like that. And he's saying, have I got a church for you? And then on the other side... She's bringing apple pie over and talking about the church. And it was a different kind of church. I'd grown up in a denominational church. This one was just a non-denominational church. A few weeks later, I was just desperate enough to try anything because we were really very close to getting a divorce. And I walked into that church and felt like I'd come home. I mean, people were so open and loving. And the pastor was something new. He was teaching straight out of scripture. You know, like, what is the context? What's the historical context? What is the scripture actually saying? And most important, how does it pertain to our lives today? How does it apply? So that really opened me up. And I felt like I'd found what I'd been looking for. So I wanted Rick to come. He didn't want any part of church Mm -hmm. at that point. uh, Because he had seen the inner workings of the church in Southern California. So I thought, well, if I can't get him to church, maybe I can get the church to him. So I asked the pastor if he'd be willing to do a home Bible study. And he said, if it's all right with your husband, sure. So we started one. We still have that Bible study going. It's 30 plus years now. And Rick is teaching it. Oh, my goodness. So we were, we were both baptized on the same day. And that, you know, for me, it really shook my whole life up because I thought, you know, when you come to Christianity, when you come to Christ, everything's supposed to be wonderful. Well, no, everything in my life fell apart. Yeah. I'm working on my priorities and saying, you want to be my child. You need to get to know me. Mm. You read the Bible. You don't know anything about me. Mm. So there was a real difficult three years of what I'd call just being cut out of what where I thought I had my identity. And mm. I think writing had become an idol in my life. And God was just removing that and saying, nope, you need to get your priorities right. Wow. It was quite a journey. Here's where I like you, because you're like, you know what? I, if my husband won't come to church, I'm just going to make us have a Bible study in our house. <laughs> and then he's going to come to know Jesus. <laughs> you're my kind of girl. You're like, yeah. I'll make sure yeah. this happens. <laughs> yeah, well, there are other ways to work around that whole issue. You know, I, I did meet a lady in church later on, and she was in her 80s, and she prayed for her husband. She'd come to church alone for years. He came to Christ at the age of 85, was baptized. He came up out of that water and he was so full of joy. It was like, and so was she. It was like, 
all those years of praying, mm. no bitterness, no resentment, just absolute joy. And I thought, when I'm old, I want to be like her. <laughs> yeah. Just an incredible lady. I love that. Well, I want to ask you this. You know, you have written how many books? Over over 30. Over 30. That's what I read. Yeah, over 30 books, which is just an unbelievable feat in itself. And you just had a book re-released. So you wrote Redeeming Love, which came out yes. in 2005. And I think every young Christian girl in American church has read your book. Well, I know they have because you've sold over a million copies. So we've all read the book and it is amazing. I mean, I remember when I read it for the first time, I was like, how is this story about Jesus? And I just loved it so much. But I have this question now that you're talking about your marriage. Redeeming love came after that you figuring out writing as an idol and starting the Bible study and all that. So tell us how you got from God asking you, hey, I need you to pursue me more than you're pursuing writing to yeah. then you write quite possibly one of the greatest books of, you know, Christian fiction ever to be written. Well, I had been writing steamy historical romances in the general market. And I don't think God wastes anything. Mm. So that Bible study is really what birthed that story because we came to the minor prophets and Hosea just broke me apart. You know, you think about how much God loves us. But there's something about looking at yourself as though you were cheating on God as your husband. Mm. And it just really got through to me, I think. And I hadn't been able to write for three years. I tried. I mean, I've stubbornly tried very hard. <laughs> I was asking God, why? You know, why is this going on? And it seemed like once I didn't care if I ever wrote again, then we studied that story. And I felt like God was saying, this is the love story I want you to write. So it's like any kind of love story that I write now. It's, it's always a triangle mm -hmm. because God is always in the center of everything that we do, whether we whether we acknowledge it or know it or not, he is there. So it really, for me, it was my statement of faith because I felt like I had come from a very happy family. I had a wonderful childhood. You know, I certainly, Rick wasn't an abusive husband. That wasn't our issue. But it was just that I looked at myself as I had been a child of darkness where you have no real knowledge of God. Then defiant. I don't want anybody controlling my life. Don't tell me what to do. You know, the 60s, that was mm -hmm. my college years. Rick's mm -hmm. in the Marine Corps. I'm in the college years and the, you know, the flower children and yeah. all that. Mm -hmm. And then also the fear when you realize that God isn't asking for little bits and pieces of you. He wants everything you are from past, present, future. Mm -hmm. And then the humility when you begin to have that relationship with him and grow in your faith. And then there's joy that comes no matter what you've been through. When you completely turn your life over to Christ, he just renovates your soul. He just retakes and changes you from the inside out. So it was really my way of sharing with previous readers that, you know, you're looking for love because I get letters from people saying, you know, I'd love to find a Michael. And, and I could say, well, there is a Michael. His name's Jesus. Mm. The story is about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But also to back up a little bit, I had read an article in a women's magazine and it was about a little girl that had been taken. And they had a picture of her, like a class picture of her about the age of eight. And then they had confiscated a porno film. And she was in that film terrified, mm -hmm. just this terrified picture of this just frightened little girl. And then later on, they found another one when she was about 12, totally different demeanor. So I had those pictures on my bulletin board and I kept thinking I'm writing for that little girl wherever she is. Mm. I had one reader in mind, basically, but it was also my way of sharing my faith with people that wondered what happened to my writing, why I had stopped writing. Because before you said you wrote like steamy romance novels. Is yes. it like what I'm thinking of when I think of steamy romance novels? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and basically, you know, really, Redeeming Love is a pretty steamy story. Yeah. It takes place in the same era that I was writing in California history, 1840s to 1880s, that kind of period. And it's a gold rush story. And I deliberately put it in that time period because I thought, I want people to understand what's happened to me. Mm. And the difference between what the world tells us love is, you know, they're very focused on Eros rather than Agape, the, the kind of lasting forever deep abiding love that we have in Christ. And I want Michael to be, have it kind of an allegory where Michael is showing Angel what Christ's love is like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to connect the dots here because is this your first book that would have been faith-based? Yes. Did you have any pushback from readers, from Christian people? Like, what was that like for you to be like, okay, you haven't heard from me in a while and here's this book. <laughs> Well, not really pushback, but the original publisher that I'd been working with, which will remain nameless, Uh and the the editor I worked with, she said, this is an allegory about Jesus Christ, and we don't publish books like that. So it really blocked me out of the general market. So did they publish it, or did you have to go someplace else? they did not publish it. It ended up with a general market publisher. Bantam did the original 30 years ago. That's when it was first published in the general market by Bantam, and The editor, just she was a Christian wanting to find ways to get Christian fiction into the general market. And so she recognized what Redeeming Love was, and she's the one that purchased it. I love that because... Yeah, as soon as it went out of print, and it probably went out of print in a year or two, I got the rights back. And then by that time, I was able to go back in because you grow as a Christian. I think there's some things that I didn't want to leave in there. There was some language... And then there were parts that I could not put in, like the conversion scene and what I call the redeemed version of redeeming love, (laughs) the one that's available now in the market. I was able to put things in that I felt needed to be in there. This is so interesting to me. How many copies are out there that are not the redeemed version of redeeming love? Some people are holding on to something that is like, this was the first draft here. I mean, not the first draft, but the first release. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 120, 130,000 copies sold of the original. And it was a yeah. small, the small paperback book. Yeah. So, and it was different. You know, it was, there are a couple things that were different about it. So, and it's really an edgy book. I mean, I was writing for Tyndale at the time I had done A Voice in the Wind, and we were talking about redeeming love. It wasn't right for their list at that time. Mm. So, it actually ended up being republished by Multnomah. Yeah. Uh, Waterbrook. That's why that's the only book that I've written in as a Christian that is not published by Tyndale House, although they do the Spanish edition. I love this is so fascinating to me. So writing this book so long ago, this is a question I just have just for you as as an author and as a writer, that book, did it find immediate success or did the success of Redeeming Love come over the years? What would you say about that? I think it came over the years. That would be my guess. And I've learned a lot from it. I've always viewed it as my first fruit. So it really doesn't Mm. belong to me at all. But I didn't make the connection with sex trafficking, for one thing. I don't know why. It just, I didn't think it was a problem in our time. I thought I was writing about something that happened 150 years ago. And I was getting letters from people that were in ministry. I was getting letters from women that come out of prostitution or abusive marriages and what the book meant to them. So I was invited to speak at the International Conference on Prostitution, and I asked the gal, you know, what can I offer? I mean, these people know a lot more about what's happening in the world than I do, so I don't have anything to give them. And she said, you have no idea how redeeming love is used all over the world, because it's translated into over 30 languages. 
And they use it as like a first introduction to God and the kind of love God has. And it, it just blew me away. It's like, you know, God can use anything, even a novel, to reach the people that he's trying to reach. It just amazes me. So it's been something to to see how it's been used and where it's been used. I mean, even as you had, you, you told the story about having the picture of that little girl, you know, yeah. on that you would write. I mean, yeah. even that was just God using something that you weren't even fully aware of. Yeah. to make such a difference. And I'm sure that has to be just where you go, isn't God good? Because I didn't yeah. even know. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a friend who said he worked for Gideon's and he went into Siberia and he said he went into the home and there was a Russian edition of Redeeming Love on the shelf. And I thought, well, there's no way I could go to Siberia. <laughs> I know. Isn't that <laughs> you know, great? God does just amazing things that you just, you know, just boggles the mind. And also with, I think too, with Christian fiction, it's never meant to replace the real thing. It's right. an introduction. So hopefully it makes people hunger and thirst for that kind of love. And then they really want to know more about Christ and about God. And it's going to get them back into reading the real thing. Scripture. Yeah. yeah, I agree. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. 
Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Okay, so to piggyback on the success of your book, as an author, as someone who this is how you spend your days, this is how you pour out, this is your creativity, this is your contribution to the world is your words. And I'm so thankful for that. Have you had, and this is just a, a from a person to a person, have you ever struggled with every book you now write going, is it going to be as good as this? Just let me know, Francine. Okay, is that a struggle? With every project, the first thing that goes through my mind when I'm starting out on it is whatever made me think I could write anything that would make sense. I mean, it's, you know what? That's I'm, encouraging to me, actually. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, it just you know, I'm not I'm not a plotter and I'm not a pantser. I'm kind of in between, so I have to have some kind of idea, and it usually starts with a question. Hmm. I usually that's what launches the ideas. I have a question in my own life that I'm struggling with and I'm using the writing as a way to kind of work through. It's a quest. I have different characters playing out the different roles of how to handle that question. And then there's one struggling Christian that's Hmm. dealing with it. And I'm just trying to find God's perspective. You know, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? How should I reshape my thinking to match what you're thinking? Yeah. Well, the redeeming love that I have it right here. I'm so, this is such a beautiful edition oh, that you yeah, guys just released. Time. And it comes with a companion study and then also a 40-day devotional. And that's out right now that you guys can get. And yeah. it's so beautiful. I would highly, it's a great gift. Redeeming love is for any woman in your life. Men too, I'm sure, obviously. Oh, yeah. But you will just, we'll just say that as well. I heard that this is being made, and it might have already been done with the way that things work, a motion picture next year? Yes, it's done. It's finished. Is this like the coolest Uh, thing that's ever happened to you, that they're taking some uh, of your words and making it into a movie? Well, it's been a long process. I've had this for almost 15 years with different companies, and it was discouraging because, you know, a lot of the scripts I was reading written by men, they did not understand Michael. You know, they wanted him to ride in at the end and rescue and, you know, they would get off on the abuse that she went through. And I thought they just don't get, you know, what's going on here. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write a script that would show the company what I'm looking for. And so I got final draft and I got books on writing script and I wrote the script for Redeeming Love and I turned it in and they said, well, we like this one. I was like, (laughs) Seriously? <laughs> now you're like, a scriptwriter. Okay. Now you're a scriptwriter, Francine. <laughs> well, my one and only time, but then DJ Caruso is the director. And, you know, I wrote it as a linear story. Well, if you went into a theater and you watched all that abuse of a child up front, I mean, yeah. I'd get up and walk out. Yeah, so right. he really restructured the uh, screenplay. We worked together to strengthen scenes, but cut the length. So I feel like I really was co-writing with him toward the end. And then we were able to go to South Africa where they filmed and watch part of the filming and meet the cast. And 
was really neat. But you get to a point where this is their thing now. Mm. They're on the right track. Cindy Bond from Mission Pictures was the head of it. And she was really a great gatekeeper. She had the same vision. And DJ did too. You know, I mean, it was, you know, there were a lot of people involved that really wanted the book to be translated properly. Mm -hmm. But it's a gritty film. Yeah. Dealing with heavy duty topics. So it's, you know, it's really not for kids. When does it release? Uh, It should release 2021. Okay. In the spring. Yeah. The original hope was Valentine's Day, but it's not going to happen with COVID. Yeah. I'm sure that had to be a little stressful for you to take something that you put so much of yourself into. And then like you said, and then it's their project. So you give them the script. Here's what I would like work together. And then at the end of the day, you're not there for the direction and you're not the director. You're not in charge of those things. And I'm sure that was a little stressful. Have you seen the final? I have seen the final with the music and everything. And they kept the story. It's got all the major scenes. Uh, It's got the, the heart of the story was what I was concerned about. Yeah, And it's in there. It's in there. But there's a real difference. What I noticed is, you know, there's a difference between reading a book, which is a lot more evocative in some ways, because you're in the minds of the characters, Mm -hmm. you understand what's going on, but to see it on film can have even more impact. Yeah. And it's really aimed at at a broader audience than Christian. We're trying to reach people that don't know anything about God. Well, I have not seen it, but I always stand by the fact that books are always better than movies. And so we'll have to see. I always tell people, I'm like, don't watch the movie first. Always read the book first. It's always better. You mentioned yeah. that the screenwriters at the very early stages had a hard time with Michael's character. Yes. When you were writing, how did you, did you zone in on creating um, Michael and Angel? What was, I mean, you told me about the pictures of the girl, but how did you yeah. really make them come to life? Reading scripture every day and concentrating on the character of Christ. Wow. You know, his mind. And also, I, you know, because I didn't come from the background of Angel. And I feel like I didn't do a lot of research about that side of life. And I feel like God kind of revealed things to me as I was writing. Just imagining I wrote the first 50 pages probably three or four times because I did not want to get inside that little girl and feel what she was feeling. Yeah. And I had a writer friend read it. And she called me on that. She said, you have to go in. Like you do on your others, you have to go in and feel everything she's feeling. So I just kind of imagined all the way through it. Mm. I wrote the masterpiece. And in the masterpiece, I did a lot of study on the psychological aspects of of trauma and abuse in young children and how it affects their adult thinking. But I didn't have that in the beginning. Really, with Redeeming Love, I felt like Jesus was in the room mm. kind of instructing me. Because it's really, it's his story. It's not mine. Yeah. It's straight out of the Bible. So there's the plot line. There it is. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how you mentioned, you know, not doing a lot of research on that subject with your character, Angel, but having to enter into what she felt like. And as a writer, when you're writing all of your stories and you're entering in and you really have to feel what they feel to write it down, does that take a toll on you? Does it does it come into your house? Like, I always wonder if, you know, actors who are portraying maybe something really difficult and hard, how do they come home and then have dinner with the kids, you know, when they've been portraying? Is that ever an issue for you as an author? Well, it was in the masterpiece, really took a toll on me. And I thought when I turned that book in, that was it. I wasn't going to be writing anymore. And then, of course, you know, I took a nice long break and then I ended up writing another manuscript. I do remember Rick saying at one time, who am I today, the good guy or the bad guy? <laughs> you know, so I may not have thought I was really taking it on, but 
people around me knew. And then, of course, when you're finishing your manuscript, and I typed my originals in the old days. Yeah. And Rick said, you just keep the kids out of the way because you had to have it letter perfect and you couldn't move things around. I mean, yeah, you could if you wanted to take an extra month and retype another right. 50, 75 pages. But yeah. uh, that was a grueling time of writing that I'm was sure. not pleasant for me or for anybody that lived for it. <laughs> My husband, he's a songwriter, but he's written a book and it was a historical fiction and it was on Charles and Susanna Spurgeon. And you're going to hear me and you're like, you sound just like my husband, Rick. When Aaron (laughs) turned in that book, he's like, are you proud of me? I said, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy to have my husband back. Not include, I felt like Charles and Susanna were with us in everything we did. Like he woke up thinking about them. He went to bed thinking about them. I said, I'm just glad that they're out of our marriage for right now. Yeah. It's just the two of us again, because you do have to take on this whole, you get into this new world. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, when I take a long break, Rick says, you're happier when you write. Hi. So he's kind of waiting for me to start Pushing another project. In. Yeah. Are you, you in know, a project right now? I finished one and turned it in two and a half months early because of COVID. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. It's an 1870s uh, silver mining town. And, you know, the question that started this one was, you know, can one person really impact a community for good, especially one that would be like Bodie, California, if you're familiar with that. It was just a lawless, crazy silver mining town. And that's the town that I'm not writing about Bodie. I've got this created fictional one. But I thought this is my COVID book, too, because, you know, the town burns and there is a cholera epidemic and there's political upheaval and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like 2020. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought I want it to be fun and have a lot of humor in it. So it does have a lot of humor in it because I think we're going to have to laugh someday about all this. I agree. I agree. So if you just turn that in early, when does that come out? What does the process look like for you? Probably not until 2022. Okay. Because of everything that's going on in 2021 with Redeeming Love, they'll probably hold off. And then, so you turned it in, you haven't been writing. Do you feel something coming up or how does your brain work for that? Well, right now, what's really interesting to me is to study the Middle Eastern culture and Christ and how we see things from a Western point of view and we miss so much of what's going on. So I took a Bible study over the summer with a group of, of gals from Christy McClellan and she's back in Nashville. She's a professor back there and it was fascinating. So I asked for the bibliography, you know, give me a list. Uh-huh. So I've got all those books and I'm going through them one by one, but I'm just thinking about maybe doing novellas on like taking a parable or taking one person in scripture and kind of filling in that Middle Eastern aspect of culture we don't know about. I love that. I'm here for that. If you need an early reader, Francine, I'm your girl. Oh, okay. (laughs) I just volunteered myself to be your early reader. So there's that. (laughs) Um, Well, you think about like the the Good Samaritan and you think about the, the, the different parables and what's going on. And they understood, you know, the people hearing the stories that Jesus was telling them, they understood, but we miss a lot of what he was trying to teach them. It's so interesting how we can take our American, you know, culture and ideas and put them on top of the Bible and think that's true. I'm going to Israel next year for the first time, and I'm super excited to have like some dots connect in my brain because people have said, you'll see the things that you read about and it makes things come alive. Have you done Israel? Yes, been there twice. And you understand what they mean when they say going up to Jerusalem, because you do go up to Jerusalem. (laughs) 
So yeah, bring some good shoes. You're telling me too. <laughs> it's yes, by all means. But it's it's really a great trip to take. Mm. Yeah. Well, I am so excited about the re-release of your book, and it's a great gift for people. And I knew I was going to talk to you for a couple of weeks, and I was asking some friends, and every single one of them had read this book. And so we're thankful for you doing the work that you do, and I've loved getting to chat with you and getting to know you. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I always end all my interviews asking my people that I'm talking to, what are you reading? Like you just told me some of those books. Do you read fiction? That's a question. I do read fiction. Actually, I'm catching up now because I tend not to read a lot while I'm working. And I try to read at least, you know, 30, 40 books a year. If I, if I read 52, that's a real push for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't count it if it's an audio. Oh, you don't. I have to read a book. <laughs> if it's an audio, it doesn't, I don't count it as a okay. read. Uh, but I just finished Educated by Tara so Westover, which is a nonfiction book. And then I'm reading the On the Bright Side, which is uh, by a gentleman I'm trying to write his last name is G-R-O-E-N, but he's Dutch mm-hmm. and he's writing about what it's like to be 85 years old. It's a diary from living in a Dutch elderly facility, okay. government facility. And it's it's a hoot. I it's love that. I love that. Are you and Rick, are y'all TV watchers? We are. What do you what do you love? Well, right now we're desperately looking for things to watch. <laughs> One of the things that we're watching, and it's a little bit gritty, so I'm not sure I'd recommend it, but it's DCI Banks. It's a British show okay, about an investigator. So that's kind of what we're watching right now. But I love that. We'll get tired of it. I know. I, I feel I, like I'm so intrigued by your brain, Francine, with writing all of these fiction novels and reading fiction and watching TV. God had to make your brain so spectacular to compartmentalize everything so that you can be all in on your project And I'm impressed with fiction writers so much. So there's that. Oh, thank you. The one thing that I've been was pretty passionate about in the last year was working in the vineyard. Oh, do you guys have a vineyard? We actually ended up buying a place that was a fixer upper. So we've been spending three years working on the the inside, the outside, you know, in the yard. And there was a vineyard. So I've been and we don't drink. (laughs) That's okay. My neighbor has a vineyard and doesn't drink. Yeah. Yeah, so we found a guy uh, through a friend, Enrique, and he's been in the vineyards for 50 years. So he's been kind of my tutor and showing me how to prune and telling me different things. And it's been fascinating, the spiritual, you know, the spiritual aspects of the vineyard. And of course, all the, the imagery in the Bible to do with yeah. the vineyard. It's been amazing. 
Beth Moore's newest book was about, and she fell in love. Yep. And I was like, that was from a trip to Italy. Yes. So I think that that's going to really help you with the project is when you, you know, see how Jesus has all those metaphors about vineyards and stuff. So Francine, it has been a joy to chat with you today. Well, thank you. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. I told you that you guys would love Francine. Also, did you notice I volunteered to be her early reader for all of her next novels? You guys, also, what kind of job would that be? Amazing. Thanks for listening, guys, today. Today's show was edited and produced by the team at Podshaper. The music was written for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell, and the whole thing is put together and produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, I hope this week is one that is full of rest and peace and joy and hope as we remember the birth of Jesus and thank God that he cared about his people so much that he would send a redeemer. I'm so thankful for that. I hope you enjoy time with your family if it's possible in the midst of COVID. Guys, on Friday, we have a fun show for you. I know it's Christmas Day, but you know what? Take a drive. You're going to need some time alone or you can listen with your family. It is an Ivy Christmas episode. That's right. All six of us are sitting down. We're talking to you. We're reading the Christmas story. We're talking about traditions. And listen, we're just crazy. We're just crazy fun people over here and we're inviting you to listen to it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And we'll see you back here on Friday with my whole entire family. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.